Oh yeah, this is Above the Break, episode 28, and we're doing a post-draft little quick reaction podcast. We would have done this last night, but James was in a very safe space with Houston Rockets fans reacting to the draft. I actually, uh, I was listening to the space uh, when the first pick went down um, through the first three picks. So before we get into the episode, which is going to be, you know, basically us talking about our favorite picks, least favorite picks, and then talking much more heavy on the, the Rockets draft. So James, without giving anything away, how fucking funny was it when Palo went one? <laughs> it, it, it was it wasn't funny at all man it was dark uh <laughs> but it I, shouldn't have been no yeah no i mean I, I with the benefit of hindsight i'm i'm quite happy i just think that we were all very surprised you know there was a lot of like like it all just happened so fast man uh, for days it was 100% we were getting paulo you know um but now 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 that it's happened and it's over. I'm really happy with the direction and and, and the draft, which we'll, we'll talk about later. But yeah, like it, it took the wind out of the sails pretty much right up until um, we took Terry, right? Up, up, up to that point, it, it, between picks three and 17, it like it kind of killed the momentum of the event a little bit. I uh, I thought it was funny because I had been personally telling you this um, about how like I was like, I hope I hope so. I hope uh, Orlando or OKC take Paolo. Just because it was like I felt the whole the whole Rockets fan thing of being like we're gonna get Palo at three. He's actually the best player in this draft. All like you know, heck yes, like this is happening. I'm like, look guys, here's the thing: if you're right and he is the best player in the draft, you're probably not gonna get him at three. And the other thing is, is it's like, look, like there's three guys that could have went number one. I think we yeah. both agree on that. And it's yeah. like you got one of them. Like you didn't yeah, get exactly. You didn't get Paolo, but like it, it was just one of those things where I was like, it felt really greedy from Rockets fans with the whole Paolo stuff. And so I was kind of I was kind of happy that they got humbled just a little bit because it's like you're being a little you're putting the cart before the horse and you guys yeah, just lost enough. the most games in the league. Like just like, you know, appreciate the good things that you're going to get. Like as a as a Wizards fan, I will tell you this. Never, never expect the best. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, as you said, three guys that could have went number one. I, I think we got the guy with the highest floor. I think we got the guy with probably the lowest ceiling. But I think we got a guy that's going to be, you know, a, a, an integral part of, of winning teams in the NBA. So, yeah. It's good. At the end of the day, like, the thing that I'll say this is like, uh, we'll get into this more, but you got the guy who is going to tell you, the most quickly if Jalen Green and Alper and Shingoon are for real. And I think like yeah, there is Shingun, some yeah. there is some value in that just because you like to know before you extend these guys. Huh. Yeah. Let's get um, into the general draft, man. Okay. Let's just get into this draft. Um I think we should just before we get into like our you know picks we thought were weird, picks we liked, I think we should just get into the the mystery of the Orlando magic first, the abracadabra, yeah. the razzle mataz, the fucking Orlando magic trick at the top of the draft. <laughs> there was I a mean, lot of abracadabra involved in what happened last night. That's for sure. I mean, for fucking real, 
They took Paolo Banchero, which a lot of, in my meta big board, he was a number one rated prospect. A lot of people viewed him as the best prospect. I would have put Chet over him, but like, that's neither here nor there. Like he was a very legitimate threat to go number one. It was weird that he wasn't rumored to be their guy more than he was. And then he ended up going number one. I'm assuming you like that pick because in our mock draft, I believe you had Bancaro going number one because, well, buckets, correct me if I'm wrong, buckets are important. Yeah, that's the reason. So, I mean, we talked about this last time, uh, but to me, BPA is an argument that gets a little oversimplified. A lot of people just kind of go, well, you got to take the best player available. Like, there's no exact science there. You don't know who the best available player is, right? The best thing you can do is divide players into tiers and then pick according to need, right? So in my mind, uh, the top three players were probably all in similar tiers or maybe Paulo and Chet were, were like a half tier above Barry, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so the magic, like, I, I think the f- top two teams definitely got what they needed to get. If I, if I was the Thunder and I had the number one pick, I would have taken Chet. Uh, so that works out great for them. It's just that, yeah, the magic, they don't have a, like an initiator or a primary playmaker. Like they don't, they don't have a guy who like, this can be our number one option offensively, you know? So why would they take someone who probably doesn't have that ceiling in, in Bari or maybe even Chet, you know? Yeah. The thing I'm actually kind of excited about now that I think about it is like, Think about the Palo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, pick and roll, where either one yeah. can screen and either one can initiate. I mean, yeah. that that two-man game could be kind of fucking crazy because I think they're like basically both 6'10", and they both can – I think Wagner is a better three-point shooter right now, but like that let, could let me be ask fun. You, I absolutely agree. Let me ask you this. Do you think this could change the the organization's view of what they might do about Mo Bamba? Because like a lot of Rockets fans wanted to get Mo Bamba because of his potential fit with Bancaro, right? Um, you know, he spaces the floor for him. He opens up the floor for him. And that, that could be really important for like a rookie that's projected to do a lot of ball handling, you know? Could they, could they say, you know what, maybe we actually do need to keep Mo Bamba after all? Because at the same time, I think Wendell Carter Jr. is also a really good fit with Paulo Bancaro. I think those are the two types of bigs you can put with Bancaro, like either a stretch big who protects the rim or a versatile defensive big who's a lob threat, you know? Should they keep them both and, and, and mix and match? Why not? Like, I mean, like, yeah. like at the end of the day, it's like I think people people do this thing where they try to, like, build their future playoff team, like two seasons, three seasons into a rebuild. And it's like, at the end of the day, you don't know how everyone's going to develop. Like you just, you just, for instance, like we were before the recording, we were talking about Joe Ingles, like Joe Ingles was a horrible shooter as a prospect. Right. Right. Like you just don't know how guys are going to develop. So I think when you're in the early stages of a rebuild, trying to build your playoff roster, your championship roster, like it kind of like the Hawks did. It's like, look, you just don't know how these guys are going to pan out. You don't know what their skills are. They're, they're, they're carrying skill in the NBA is necessarily going to be, you might have an idea, but like, just get the talent in there, see how it works, see how these guys develop and things will start making sense pretty quickly. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, Oh, could we gotten more value if we traded him earlier? Sure. But like, as we saw with the trades before the draft, you have to like Average NBA players don't get you all that much in return. 
So like, I I think just having him in there and seeing how they play is far more important than, than, you know, putting, uh, you know, putting the cart before the horse, putting the playoff lineup before the playoffs, like, you know, just try to get there and then figure out what needs to be tweaked. So to me, yeah, to me, it, it, it always boils down to like, it's a morbid expression, but there's so many different ways to skin a cat, right? Like if I were an NBA general manager, personally as soon as i saw any potential issue as to why a guy might need to be traded i would trade him if i had a good trade like like i i would make sure to maximize that value that's my approach but the downside to that is as you're basically saying is like well you could trade i I could trade christian wood for a a first round pick like like a better first round pick and pj washington you know last last year say that's on the table i would have taken it right well, Christian Wood could fucking end up being a good defender the year later. You know what I'm saying? So, like, like that's the same thing you're saying, I think. It's like, like if you say we got to trade a guy early to maximize his value, it's like, well, you're underrating the fact that his value could increase even if you trade him. You know? So, it, like, basically, it's just a series of calculated risks, man. That's all That's all NBA GMing is. It really is. All right, let's go to the second pick. Um, Oklahoma City Thunder, Chet Holmgren. I think we both just like that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what they had to do. Yeah, I don't think we need to explain too much about that. Um, they want to play five-ish out. He can help you play five-ish out. He's also going to be a lob threat in the pick and roll. That's why I, I really rated him, just because I felt like he, he gives you schematic versatility on offense and defense, which I I think is very underrated in prospects, where it's like I would take a slightly worse player that gives you slightly more schematic flexibility just in that like it allows you to maximize more lineups and ergo have better net ratings yeah let's skip the rockets because we're gonna do a full roundup and can i can i just touch on the kings pick here yeah i mocked uh keegan murray there and i'm glad they took him i i I just think it was a mistake man and not to take keegan murray i think that keegan murray was a great choice for them i i just can't believe they didn't trade down like, I, I, I don't know, man. The teams would have coveted Jaden Ivey, I, I have to think. I, maybe they tried and failed. It's always possible. But it's to me, it's like when you, when, when you have the fourth pick and you take a guy that's mocked like five to seven, you just inherently blew it by not finding a, a, a trade-down partner, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the reality is is that and this is what we'll, we'll, we'll also talk about the Pistons pick kind of in this with Jaden Ivey. I don't think NBA front offices were as crazy about Jaden Ivey as your pretend amateur prospect towns were. I, I, I think that's the reality. It's like Jaden Ivey, we've seen guards like this come into the NBA and never really, like, for instance, you could go look at the Kings with De'Aaron Fox. Like, Ivey might have better some better physical traits but at the end of the day there's been a lot of these really explosive guards with you know iffy jump shots that just never really become all that great but because they're running your offense taking a bunch of shots and they have this explosive exciting athleticism they end up on a contract that you're like oh fuck yeah (laughs) yeah so i mean i'm looking at it here now i guess realistically if the Pacers weren't interested, there was no way that they were going to get their guy in Murray and trade down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, well, what about the Pistons? They couldn't have got, well, the Pistons didn't have much of anything to offer them, I guess. Also, why, if, if the Pistons know they don't want to select Ivy, 
Yeah, why, why would, would they, they trade out of five? Yeah. Like the the move would have legitimately been draft Jade and Ivy, call the Detroit Pistons and say, take Keegan Murray and give us something. And like so, that's yes. super fucking risky because if they say no, then you're stuck in a situation where you're like, well, we just made a pick literally for extortion purposes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sure. So, okay. So it was probably a smart move all told, but like, uh, I just, in a vacuum to me, it's like, there was a, I understand what you're saying about Ivy. I share those concerns. I'm not super high on them necessarily, but like when there's a player with star upside on, on, on the table and you take a guy that's more projected to be like a solid long-term starter, it's just, it's just a bad value exchange, you know, like it, like in a vacuum. Yeah. I also think Keegan Murray's like, not having star potential is a little overblown. I'm just like, he's a bit older, but he was a late bloomer. Um, Statistically, he was amazing in college. He can score from all over the court. He doesn't waste movements. Like he knows exactly how he's going to get his bucket and he gets it. He looks like he's going to be able to defend multiple positions. Like we're looking at a guy where, you know, he could end up being, a 24 points per game, eight rebounds with like three or four assists. Is that like a super, super star? No, but it's the fourth pick. If you get like an all-star at the fourth pick, like I think that's like a pretty fucking good outcome in the so grand I, scheme of things. I, I'm, I'm just seeing less gaudy basic counting stats for him at the NBA level personally. I don't see that like, like I don't know if he's got the plus athleticism or like the bag of offensive moves from what I've seen to be like a 24 point per game scorer in the NBA. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm seeing more of like a 16 and eight guy with good splits and good solid multi-positional defense. Like I really, I really like him. I think he's going to be a very good player. You know, I think, I think bags are overrated for players. What is he going to, what is he going to use to be a 24 point per game scorer? Sorry to interrupt. Well, I, I think it's this, he's really good at one, getting to his spots Two, once he's there, quickly getting the type of shot he wants through one or two moves. I think we overrate bags and complicated moves because it looks cool. But the reality is the only guys you actually ever want having those traits and utilizing them consistently are dudes that are your primary ball handler. Because if a guy who isn't gets it 15 seconds into like, you know, you bring the ball up the court, you give it to him 15 seconds on a shot clock. And he's like, now I'm going into my bag. If he doesn't get the shot he wants right there and he passes it, the next guy is basically for sure getting a bad, a bad shot. And I think we overrate that type of stuff. If a guy isn't projected to be a lead ball handler, I don't actually want him using a massive bag because that actually hurts the offense more than it helps it a lot of times. I understand those points and those are good points, but to me at the same time, like I think 24 is just a little bit of a high bar for a guy that doesn't have unique offensive skills you know like maybe that's that's all i'm saying hey man kevin durant you know outside of being tall doesn't have any unique offensive skills in the grand scheme of things well he he can create shots from scratch right like he can shoot off but he's a guy who can average 30 points per game right like on a great efficiency i'm saying keegan murray can average you know 24 points on you know slightly less good efficiency And that's a super fucking good player. I'm like comparing him to like, maybe at people consider Durant to maybe be the best player in the world. Right. So I I think, I think the reality is, is that 
Keegan Murray is definitely not fucking as exciting as Jaden Ivey. But at the end of the day, you don't win basketball games based upon excitement. You win it based upon buckets. And I know Keegan Murray is going to get buckets at a pretty efficient clip, at a probably above league average clip in Let's, the NBA. And that's valuable. Let's get the fuck off it, though. Yeah, man. Because we're, you know, we, we, are we going to go pick for pick? Because we're not going to. No, 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 no. no. What's, okay. Now that we've basically talked on the top five, I want to ask you what was a pick that you found to be odd? Yeah, so I mean, we're, I'm not I'm not steering too far from from the top five. Uh, Pacers made obviously they're like a pretty easy call at number six, in my opinion. That's a great choice. Uh, but then at number seven, I didn't expect the Blazers to just draft Shaden Sharp, man. But so, somebody talked me into it in the space last night by saying that basically they're hedging their bets. They might be hoping to move him by like the deadline if he flashes potential. Uh, and if but on the flip side, if they're not good next year. He might be the new franchise player, so they were hedging their bets. And and I guess I can understand it from that point of view. But for me, I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, this is like the team and one of the two teams in the lottery that like is distinctly hoping to make the playoffs next year. And they took the mystery box, you know, it was a little bit surprising. Like, like they could have just taken Sochan. He'll probably be ready to be a good NBA player next year. Yeah, I I, I think you gotta if you're the Trailblazers, you gotta take Shaden Sharp is a flyer. It might have been a wasted seventh overall pick. But at the end of the day, if you're expecting to extend Dame, you just got um, Jeremy Grant. You're you're expecting to not be in the lottery again, right? For probably another season or two. And then if that's the case, then you're probably just in a full-on rebuild anyway. So you'll just you'll get good picks. I, I think it made it made sense where it's like, hey, it teams like the trailblazers only get so many bites at the apple at this stage of their competitive timeline to maybe get a franchise cornerstone. That's like an all-star plus caliber player. I think you kind of have to just take that risk. And I, I, sorry, no, no. And it's also, it's like, I think you're right. Like if shade and sharp does look good and they play well, and then he's up amazing trade chip. And you could maybe actually like, you know, push your team over the top, but that seventh pick isn't going to get you that player right now anyways. So it makes sense to go for the guy that maybe people go, Oh shit, this guy should have been a top four pick. I guess I just, I don't like half measures. And I feel like this organization is taking a lot of half measures. Like they traded away veterans at the deadline last year for a pretty subpar return, but also for what looked like kind of rebuilding packages then they traded for Jeremy Grant. So now they're shifting back into win now. But then they take Shane Sharp. And it's like, I, I just need this team to pick a direction. I don't know if they dangled the pick and they couldn't find... Like, there were a lot of rumors linking uh, OG Ananobi to the seventh overall pick. And, and that obviously never ended up happening. But, like, I, I mean, if I were them, I would trade Dame. And and acquiring... Drafting Shane Sharp would, would make me more inclined to trade Dame. But if they're not trading Dame, they're going to have to do more than just get Jeremy Grant this summer, man. You know? So I'm not really sure what's going on there, but I do understand some of the rationale for the pick too, but it, it surprised me. What, you know, what's your surprise pick? I actually thought Matherin at six was oh. a little odd. He was a, like, it wasn't actually that crazy. He was eighth on my big board. Uh, the, like in terms of like where other people put him, but Dyson Daniels and sharp were both available. And I felt like Matherin was like a bit of a safe pick when you could maybe go get one of those guys. And it could not work out, but like you're kind of in a rebuild anyway. So you're probably going to be back around here 
again, you might actually be closer to the top next season than you were this year. So I would have went for one of those guys. And I think Dyson Daniels next to Tyrese Halliburton would be like kind of interesting in that like Halliburton can shoot and you'd have a lot of length. I I thought that would have been interesting. And also sharp, as we just said, like, you know, mystery box, massive upside, but you know, I would have just, if I had been the Pacers, I would have taken a bit bigger of a risk. And I felt like Matherin, while like, I, I like him, I think he's good. It just, it felt like, he felt like someone that should have been drafted closer to 10 than five. I I would have taken Dyson Daniels too. Uh, definitely. I, th- I, I think Matherin is just a safe pick. Like he looks like he'll probably be a solid defender. He's a good shooter. He can create his own basket a little bit. Like I- I'm not sure exactly who to comp him to, but I feel like he's going to be like, he's probably, it's a pretty safe bet that he'll get some all-star consideration in his career without actually, without making a team. You know, like that's that's the type of player I'm seeing. Yeah, Daniels has a much higher ceiling, in my opinion, but probably also a lower floor because if he, if it turns out that he can't shoot, then you know he's probably just going to be like a rotation player. I lo- I love Daniels. I would have taken him sixth, but I don't know. The Pacers are a low risk franchise too, aren't they? Like they, they just yeah, that's to, that's yeah. The, that's what kind of bugged me. Is it's like look, like this is your chance to take a swing. You're hardly ever here. Like go for it, go for it, guys. All right, let's actually. You talk know what's about- weird. Sorry, okay. if I if I may, I, I it, reports came out that the Pacers said that Dyson Daniels had the best workout they've ever seen, or like like one of their longtime talent evaluators said it was the best workout he'd ever seen. So from that point of view, it was a little bit surprising. Yeah, you know who, who knows? There's there's so many different there's so many different agendas being pushed in all these situations. But let's talk about the fucking weirdest thing that happened on draft night because we had we had a conversation when this was happening and then it turned out that our conversation didn't matter right the fucking hornets drafted jalen duran with the 13th pick we both agree in the moment that's a good pick for them right they need a center we liked him probably the best center prospect in this draft they then went ahead and took dukes mark williams with the 15th pick also a fucking center so let's not talk about what happened afterwards our conversation in there was you were like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, it is odd for a team to draft two centers that close in the draft. Um, Cause presumably they can't both play at the same time because well, neither of them have a real offensive game and yeah. <laughs> it's 2022. So even if they were both Nikola Jokic, they might still not be able to work. Um, I said, I believe well, they're just making sure they they have a center for, of the future. I kind of get it. They're aggressive. They're targeting that area of weakness. If they both turn out good, one can be traded. If only one turns out good, you still have your center. Uh, so th- I convinced myself that like it wasn't the craziest it was, thing. It was a creative rationalization. I'll say that. Like I was like, yeah, I guess I could look at it that way. But I mean, it in a sense, it wasn't. It's not the craziest thing, you know. It's like in the NFL, if you have a problem at you know cornerback, you might select you know, two corners in the draft pretty high and hope that one of them works out. It's not the craziest thing. I mean, it, it happens, but it turns out we were both then deceived because fucking <laughs> they go ahead and they trade Jalen Duran to the Detroit Pistons in like this weird three team trade that's partially designed to get the Knicks off of Kemba Walker's $8 million contract. I mean, for fuck's <laughs> yeah. sake, like, like what? 
I, I feel like the Knicks are once again planning for something that they, that they don't know is going to happen, which is just what they do, man. Yeah. Maybe it's but, Kyrie again. Is it Kyrie and Durant again? You know, I mean, they're just, they're just forget the Knicks side of this. Like, you know, yeah, I can understand sure, why yeah. you get off Kemba Walker's money. Um, but what the fuck were the Hornets doing trading Jalen Duran and not Mark Williams? Why draft a guy at 13 and draft a guy at 15 and then turn around and trade the guy at 13? Well, I'm guessing that the Pistons wouldn't have done anything to acquire Mark Williams, right? But my thinking is more just like they should have, the Hornets should have highly coveted Jalen Duran. I personally just think he's going to be a much better player than Mark Williams. So that's maybe that's where that comes into play for me. Like, I don't know, man. These teams, you've got to look at what's happening around the league, right? Like drop coverage bigs are phasing out. Switchable bigs are at a a premium. And Duran has the potential to be switchable. And Williams really doesn't. So, like, it's not rocket science, is it? Yeah. The the reality is this. It doesn't make any fucking sense to me if you take a guy 13 and then fucking trade him. Like, like. Especially when he slipped. Like, Duran was throughout times in the draft cycle seen as a potential top five prospect it's, it's been a while but like they were lucky to get him at 13 man you know it's like you find a 20 dollar bill on the ground and you flush it down the toilet yeah it just it didn't make any sense i don't know exactly what the the trade was let me see if i can find it Jalen, I, I found Jared. a 20 dollar bill on the ground last week that's why that analogy came into my head by the way <laughs> All right, let's let's see let's see what the 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 actual trade was before we completely put the nail in their fucking coffin. Well, this article starts with the with the with the phrase in one of the strangest trades of NBA draft night. I think that is true. So let's see. They sent him to the Pistons via the Knicks, who added Kemba Walker to Detroit's package. The Pistons plan to negotiate a buyout of Walker's nine point two salary. All right, so the Knicks cleared Walker's contract from the books. That's not crazy. And then the Knicks trade the 11th overall pick for three future protective first-round picks early in their night, clearing another $4.5 million. So the Knicks create $18 million cap space tonight. Now, that's not inconsequential. No, it's not, yeah. So the Pistons then dealt a 2025 first-round pick from the Bucks to New York in the Duran trade. Not actually bad. The Knicks maybe maybe they're onto something. They're they're maybe like they're, let's just, they're just like let's acquire picks and cap space again. It, you know, but the so Knicks the will send what? So the Knicks will send one of the three first round picks they received from Oklahoma City and four future second round picks to the Hornets in the Duran deal. Yeah. So let's a, see a protected so, first and four second round picks for Duran. I don't like it, man. The Hornets it, should have just taken their guy, man. Anyway. Yeah, I still think it was dumb on the Hornets' part, but, you know, the Hornets going to Hornets. Okay, do you have any other odd deals? Not odd deals. I've got or a couple more odd, trade. odd uh, Or not odd trades, but uh, odd, odd selections. Yeah. Um, well, the Warriors took a bold swing with Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, you know, he kind of had a pretty firm uh, reputation as a second-round pick. Heading into this, he's kind of known for like being a low effort, low energy type of player. But like, there was a time when he was seen as a potential lottery pick, so they could be onto something. But it, I found it interesting. Um, yeah. 
I think we got to note that Jaden Hardy slipped tremendously. This kid was going third overall in mock drafts a year ago, yeah. ended up going 37th. So it's the Cam Reddish thing, man. These guys who are like awesome isolation scorers in high school play against people that are like close to their athleticism level or better. And you realize that shit's not going to work in the NBA. Probably Hardy. You're, you're right. You're 90% right. But I will say that Hardy is a little less athleticism, a little more like yeah. craft and, and yeah, but like, yeah. And less you're, size, you're, but, significantly less size as well. Yes. Yes. But generally your point is well taken. I think is that like, like top high school scores are real wait and see proposition, right? Like that, that, that doesn't mean that they're going to be much of anything. That's why Shady Sharp is risky, man. He's um, risky, but at least he's got that six eleven wingspan and he's got like that type of frame where you're like, if we right. can commit to defense, I think he could at least be a pretty good defender. Yeah. Um, Hardy, he doesn't project like that either. No. And that was interesting. I was actually surprised when Dalen Terry was drafted at 18 by the Bulls. I know he's risen up boards and everything, but like, you know, a few weeks ago when I made my meta big board, he was 49th on the board. So I, I don't think he went from 49 to 18. In no, that he's period been getting locked in the mid 20s pretty consistently, though. Yeah. And so I know he went up. I thought that was probably a bit of a reach, but you know, I, I like it, but it, it, he's kind of one of my guys, but undeniably a reach, though, with that said, you know, yeah. Like, like, yeah, he. They, they overdrafted him from that point of view, but I, I like it. Um, I, I got one more, yeah. and then if you have another, go for it, but then we should we should rock yeah, this round up, yeah. baby. Yeah, but um, I, I think that the Timberwolves could have got a big steal at 48 with Kendall Brown. I know that this kid, this is a kid that really slipped, but I think he's got a lot of plus traits, man. He, he, he's one of the best run jump athletes in the draft. And he's a good passer. Like that alone, to me, gives him a pretty serious upside. I wouldn't be surprised if, if we look back and say he should have went in the first round. Well, look, so in my meta big board, you know, he was ranked as the 19th overall prospect. Yeah. And he was he was in these boards between 11 and 30. So I think that's that's a fantastic pick. I mean, like there's just there's no other way to put it. You know, guys go up and down. But like for the, the reality is like, the guy's between 11 and 30 and you get him in the second round, even if he's moved down a little bit, that's still a pretty good value. Um, yep. I thought the Nuggets taking Peyton Watson with the 30th pick, who is like yeah. basically the most pure upside pick ever. I, I I wrote he's a few years away from being a few years away. I you know they're great at player development. They probably see some stuff they like, but I I, I kind of like that pick when they take Christian Braun at 20 or Brown or however the fuck you pronounce Billy it. Billy Brown. Yeah. Up, yeah. Up until last night, I assumed Braun, but yeah. Yeah. Christian Brown um, <laughs> with the 21st pick, he's like kind of a safe pick. And so I kind of like how they, they took a, a pure upside and a safe pick where, you know, cause you don't need both of those guys to contribute probably right away um, on True. this team. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I think the Pistons getting Ivy and Duran was awesome. They went we from being had a pretty, on it, yeah. They they went from being a pretty unathletic NBA team to getting maybe the two best athletes in the draft. So yeah. I mean, like that's they, they look, I mean, they got fucking two lottery talents. Um, and I think the best part about getting Duran is people can finally shut up about beef stew, Isaiah Stewart being <laughs> like yeah, a foundational great. piece. He's an NBA backup center that you know does dirty work. Like, yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, I I think 
I think it was O'Connor, but definitely somebody at the ringer wrote this earlier today. And I thought it was really good. Uh, they said Cade Cunningham last year, nobody could force him to speed up. And then the Pistons went and took a guy that nobody can slow down. Yeah. 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 Like that. It's a, I, it's a pretty dynamic backcourt. I, I really, I thought Ivy, like I'm not huge on Ivy, but I think if he's going to be his best playing next to Cade Cunningham is like a great way to start his career. Um, I agree. Oh, I guess two quick things. OKC's draft, you've got to love. I mean, I, I oh, really they, love They won the night. You know, Chet and Usman Dang, and then they took Jalen Williams at 12, who had been flying up draft boards. Um, people probably consider him a bit of a reach at 12, but I ended up becoming really high on him. Granted, I was like, I hope the Rockets take him with 26. I thought you would have had to follow yeah. a little bit. To get <laughs> right, there. 12, 12 is a reach. But, um, but that's you know, fine. Look, I mean, the dude's like a, probably going to be a close to a 40% three-point shooter with a 7-2 wingspan. You know, had showed some good, was really, was on the ball all the time at Santa Clara. So, like, you know, he he can handle the ball and he was good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the Thunder got the, the, the best player in the draft and Chad Holmgren. So, that that's pretty impressive, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, they they did probably get the best player in the draft. And then Dang could be one of the five best players in this draft. And That you mean? Y- yes, yes, yes. Um, but, uh, I, but like, I, I joke, but I know, yeah, I know. yeah I, you know I'm extremely high on Jang. I think, I think he's – I think it's almost more likely that he's going to be a star in this league. You know, probably not a superstar, but like – like a modern day Jalen Rose, maybe, or like like with defense, you know. I I think he's gonna be really good, man. And, and I I I think they had the best draft personally. They they had a really good night. Um, but you know when you have the second and twelfth pick and enough fucking draft assets in perpetuity to get the eleventh pick, like you got three top twelve picks, like you're probably gonna have a pretty fucking good draft if you if you pull that off. Yeah. Um, and let, let's sorry. One final thing. I just yeah. thought Sarami. Jeremy So Sohan, not Sochan, but Sohan going to San Antonio was like the perfect spot for him. Hell like, yeah. I think oh, he needed yeah. to go to a good organization to be maximized. And, and he will be, I think. And he will be. And so like I, I wrote, he's gonna be all NBA one day now because he went it's to possible. San Antonio. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's possible, or at least uh all defense, you know. I, I think he can make all star teams. I'm really I'm really high on Sochan, man. Like yeah. Sochan. Sohan. Sohan. Sohan, yeah. I'm really uh, high if, on this guy. You know, I, I actually, I believe I had him fifth on my on my big board. If the Rockets had picked fifth, I would have loved to see them reach for him. Uh, yeah, he just looks like he's probably going to be the best defensive player in the draft, and, and he's got a strong enough handle to make – like, I'm really big on guys that can create transition opportunities and then finish their own transition opportunity, right? Uh, the Rockets got one of those guys too. But to me, that's like – like, if you can – if you can stop the other team from scoring and then score, that's the most valuable sequence in basketball, right? So I think Sohan's going to be doing that an awful lot in San Antonio. He's in a great spot. All right. Let's light the fuse. All right. We haven't done a Rockets roundup in a while because guess what? The Rockets haven't been doing anything for a while except working out players that um, they don't draft. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyways sorry for the low blow it's probably still a little (laughs) it's still a little raw but you know that's what you get for thinking you're gonna get your guy with the third pick that's not how the third pick works that's actually how the first pick works (laughs) but all all things considered 
I wrote after the draft uh, on Space City Scoop. Check it out. I graded the Houston Rockets draft. I gave them an A for their three first-round picks. And let's talk about their first pick with the third overall pick, Jabari Smith Jr., James, after the Paolo disappointment, who you basically had to convince yourself of after. I I think you did a little bit of like – you. I think you convinced yourself that Paolo Bancaro was your guy after it looked like he was going to be the guy. And I I I don't fault you for that because you're a fan. I never kind of, I never went to that level of depravity, but you know, I have that, (laughs) I have that ability because I'm not a fan of the fucking team. So Rockets roundup time, NBA draft edition, instant reaction, Jabari Smith, Jr. James Piercy. Let me say this. First of all, you you are 100% correct. Right. I mean, it's, it's obvious. I've been, I've been thinking about this, right? <laughs> I, 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 I think what happened is this, man. Like, with the margins being so narrow between these guys as it is, it was easy to talk yourself into any of the three of them, right? That, that, that's, that's what it boils down to. But if I'm being completely honest, and I, I think you'll vouch, at the very, from the very beginning, before rumors started heating up and stuff, I would have had them Chet, Barry, Paulo. Now, having thought about it more, I probably would still put Paulo ahead. It's yeah. it's difficult, right? It's tricky. Like it's it's the whole ceiling versus floor thing, man. I I, I think that there's very little doubt that Jabari Smith Jr. is going to be like good enough to be the third best player on a title team. He's going to be at least that good, you know. Maybe good enough to be the second best player on a title team. It's a little more doubtful, but it's possible. He will not be the best player on a championship team, right? Jabari Smith Jr almost definitely cannot do that. On the flip side, Paul Bancaro may be able to do that. It's there's a world where he's the best player on the on a championship team. But there's also a world where Paul Bancaro is one of those guys who is like the, the best player on a fringe playoff team and and by virtue of being your best player, he keeps you at that fringe playoff level, right? So uh, the floor is a lot lower and it's hard to say what's going to happen, but uh one thing that I am very excited about is the fact that you know, we watch these playoffs. A lot of times, they're dominated by uh, a platoon of three and D wings. Right? This is yeah. something that you kind of need as a structure of a modern NBA team. And the Rockets did a really good job of, of, of beefing up that aspect of their roster last night. So I'm I'm really happy about that. So I drew something to explain the top three prospects, and I think the best way and why Rockets fans should actually be really happy that they got Jabari. If you just break these down guys down into offense and defense and rank them in terms of their potential, you go, Paolo has the highest offensive potential. Shet has the highest defensive potential. But then you'd also say Paolo probably has the lowest defensive potential and Chet might actually have the lowest offensive potential just because, you know, being, there's a lot of guys that can be really effective rim runners. Um, and so it's going to be like, is he a really good three point shooter or is he, you know, whatever, right? Like, is there going to be more to his game than just kind of being a finisher? But I think Bari is in the middle for the two prospects on this little thing. I drew, I think he's going to be the second best offensive potential and the second best defensive potential. And what that means is that like, we view these guys as being differently valued, but really they're equally valued in that he's just not going to do it by being the best at something. He's just going to be do it by doing it by being 
good at two things. While I think Chet is going to be like maybe the best defender in the league and Paolo can maybe be like one of the best offensive players in the league. So it looks, it's more obvious what makes them good. And the reality is Jabari Smith Jr. has the potential, even if he doesn't become a superstar, to be a plus three and a plus D player. Oh, he's, there going, guys, he's going to be that. Well, that's the thing. It's like that, how many guys are actually like that? How many yeah, guys are many. plus three-point shooters and plus defenders? There's guys that right. are plus three-point shooters and are pretty good defenders. There's guys that are great defenders and just okay three-point shooters. I mean, we're talking about a guy who could be both. That guy might not exist in the NBA. Quite literally, Mikhail he Bridges. might be a one of them. Mikel Bridges is one of them. And at it's the not same that many, though. But like after Mikel Bridges, who who else? And I, I would say Jabari Smith Jr. is probably a better shooter in that he's he is more unguardable in terms yeah, of Yeah, he's a better shot. shooter. He's not, probably not going to be as good of a defender. Yeah, but, but he could yeah, probably defend I mean, now, now, now we're getting a bit the better. But, but the, my point yeah. being is that, like, there's maybe one or two guys that, like, fit his profile. Yep, no, you're right. You're right. And that's like kind a of a your actual 3 and D, yeah. And that might be the – and that's, like, what we're kind of projecting as his floor. True. I mean, yeah. No, oh yeah, no, I'm I'm happy. If the handle comes along, if the handle comes along, what 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 could be what could be what could this player be? I mean, anything, but it's a huge if, right? At this point, huge if. But you're right. Yeah. Let me say this too. If I was to project like what I expect from both these guys right now, right? Realistically, they're gonna be like like the 19th and 22nd best players in the league or something like that, you know, and it, it, and it's going to interchangeably be the case one way or the next. And what, what I would also say is this, I think that Bancaro is going to be a guy who gets you like 25, 10 and five. But then when you look underneath the hood, the metrics kind of aren't that great, but then you always have to make the case of like, well, does he make the guys around him better just with the attention that he draws and stuff though? Like, does he have teammates that have really impressive metrics and it's actually partly because they have a system that's built around his abilities. And then, you know, Bari might be more a guy that averages like 17 and seven and he's not widely regarded as a star, but then when you look under the hood, it's like, Oh, this guy's, you know, Vorp, Winshare is whatever are, are all exceptional. Right. So we'll see. Yeah, I, look, I think this is the reality. The reality is like the Rockets fans should be happy because they got a guy who still has tremendous upside, right? Like he is a dude who is a pretty good handle, not even a great handle, a pretty good handle away from being like a really potentially special player. That's true. And, uh, you know, handle, I don't know what's easier to fix a bad jumper or a poor handle. Um, you know, you would, who knows they, maybe they're equally as hard or maybe it's just really dependent on the guy. But like at the end of the day, you had the third pick and you got the guy who's probably the third best prospect. And this third best prospect had a chance to potentially go number one overall. It's a really good pick. And most crucially, you're going to know if Alperin Shangun is worth keeping around. Yeah. Which is an added bonus. I know like you don't want to draft for like, well, we got to find out if this guy's actually worth it, but like you'll be able to know if Alperin Shangun by the time he's extension eligible, is worth extending. You're also yeah, going to no, it's, it's put the ball in Jalen Green's sure. hand. You're also yeah. going to put the ball in Jalen Green's hand, which, like, personally, like, that's the bigger issue with drafting Paolo in my mind. It's like, well, you're just going to, like, Jalen Green already took an L for his rookie season, not having the ball as much as he should have. You're going to do that again? Like, maybe that's fine for his development, but, like, for him, for, in my mind, to reach like top five level in the NBA, he's going to need to have the ball in his hand a fuckload to 
see if that scoring can't turn into great passing because that's what all the top offensive players in the league do. I think this, this will let us know if last year's draft was fucking good and that's useful. Yep. Now with, with all that being said, it's worth noting that that next year is a potentially historic draft and we might take somebody who has the ball in their hands, you know, at the same time. Right. Yeah. Like if it's Scoot Henderson or we'll have more information at least. I think like, yeah, that's that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And also, yeah, like you're, you're right. Bari is really a perfect compliment for Shangun, especially offensively. Defensively, he could maybe be a little bit more of a weak side rim protector. Like Bari is more a perimeter defender than he is an interior defender. So he's not going to necessarily help Shangun in the way that Shangun probably needs. Uh, but still having a guy that can suffocate the perimeter at least eases the burden on the rim protector. Yeah, and so there's still something, yeah. you know, so you like, yeah, he, he'll be able to contest some people's shots. Some, exactly. I know it's not, yeah. People say that, but it's like, I'm sure he can do some weak side rim protection. He, he's six ten, yeah. And, uh, but offensively is picture perfect fit for Shangun. If Shangun can't make that work, he can't make it work, you know? Yeah. Uh, but of course we know Shangun's going to be able to make it work on offense. The questions are about defense anyway. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. So the fit's exciting. But let's talk about the guy. that number seventeen pick, man. The best player in the draft. I'm I'm Ooh. ecstatic. I'm through the roof. I gave. No, you are. I look. I gave the Terry Eason selection an A plus. I know he was mocked at seventeen in my meta big board. He was a seventeenth prospect. I think everyone's fucking up on this one. I just I literally don't know why this guy wasn't a considered to be a top ten pick. There's just nothing in my mind that suggests otherwise. The dude is special i'm excited let, let me say let me say one thing in response to that part of why he wasn't considered a top 10 pick maybe is this draft in my opinion was deep man it, it's, it's deceptive it was actually a very deep draft it was perceived as a weak draft because there were no clear-cut superstars like like zero clear-cut this guy's gonna be a superstar and coming off the 21 draft when there was like really four or five of those guys you know like it, it's, it's it's a little bit different or maybe three or four um, but I do think that there were like, there were quality players across the board, man. Uh, and that's part of why Terry, and then, you know, people have questions about Terry's like feel and decision-making and stuff, but I mean, come on, man. He's got a huge hands, quick feet. He can handle the ball. He's like six, eight with a seven, two wingspan. Like, you, you know, this guy's going to be a defensive stud. And he's even if he's strong. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. he, d- defensively to me, it's like, I just, I just look at dudes. I'm like, look, like, do I think that they can come into the NBA and probably be pretty good at something? And I go, he's probably going to be pretty good at defense at like one of the hardest positions to find good defense. And then you go, oh, yeah. all right, well, what about his offensive game? I'm like, well, I don't know what about his offensive game, but like all of the, st- he put up fantastic statistics in college in the sec, which is like, as we saw a really good conference in terms of talent. Um, they now you know that he was playing it. against second units, right? For, well, not exclusively, but for some reason he was the sixth man. I, I think it was just like a schematic thing. Yeah, and you know LSU's coach. It, look, I'm not gonna hold it against LSU's or Terry Easton that LSU's coach was like, "Huh, my best player is coming off the bench." Like this is that's, weird, but yeah, no, I agree. Isn't his fault, and yeah. he wasn't only out there against backups. You can't come off the bench no. and play like 27 minutes a night and be only playing against backups. Avoid the starters for all the yeah, it's logically yeah. impossible. So yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, he really good. And the thing for me is like he shot well from three point range, and he was a really good. His free throw shooting was really good. And I think the only thing 
if he if he had been a freshman, for instance, and done this, he would have been a top 10 pick easily, maybe even a top five pick, right? The, I think the thing that held him back is that he his first year at Cincinnati, he was bad. And yeah. he then goes to LSU and he's really good. And people are like, well, what's real? I'm like, the way I view it for prospects, his two point, three point and free throw shooting all exploded. And they like exploded in a way that made sense where it's like he just got better at shooting. It wasn't one of those Davion Mitchell situations where you're like, oh, he hit 40% of his threes. I'm like, yeah, but he's still shooting like 65% from the free throw line. Like that thing has stayed the same. The two point has stayed the same. It's just the three point shooting that's exploded in this small sample. It's like the, the sample size showed that like everything got better. So I think at worst, he's going to be a pretty solid three. He's going to be a good defensive player and a, sol- a solid enough three-point shooter. And a guy with hands that big, man, like Kawhi Leonard had big-ass hands, and you can't take the ball from him. He's going to be one, of, and he's strong and long. It's like He's going to be one of those guys where like he's not going to need a fucking bag to be able to get to his spots no. because he's literally just carrying – like every time he dribbles, it, he's holding the ball. He already has a very functional handle too. Yeah. Like I was saying about so Sokan – it's the same thing. Like Terry can create transition opportunities and finish them. Right. He, he, uh, he can get on the open floor. You know, if he gets to steal and, and, and he holds the ball, he can dribble it up, man. He can finish it. So, oh yeah, no, I, I I'm beyond excited about it. Like, like when we got Terry, I was like, okay, you know what? This is actually a pretty good draft. Cause we just got two of the three best wing defenders in the draft. Like, you yeah. know, with the other one being so can like that, that, like that's, that's pretty exciting given that we were the second worst defensive team in the league last year. Yeah. And yeah. and the best part about uh, a guy like Eason and uh, Jabari is that like, they're kind of, they can be interchangeable to a degree on defense. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's just, what you need, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and then, gonna, you know, like now if, if Tate's like our third string wing, like suddenly like, like if Tate makes this sense. opens up, right. Like if Terry's as good as we hope, Tate can be a ninth man. And now that's, that's a really good spot for Tate. So yeah, no. And then Garuba, man, suddenly the Rockets have a lot of guys who like are supposed to be defensive players. The, the, yeah. You know, and you'll yeah. find out and like not all of them are going to be that guy, but like you'll find out which ones are and you'll you'll keep those and you'll get rid of the ones that aren't. Yeah. But let's move to your favorite player. And I actually gave this pick a B plus because I think at the fucking 29th pick where so the let's just do the trade quickly. Rockets trade the 26th pick basically for the 29th pick and two future second round picks, if I'm not cur- not mistaken, essentially. Yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah, I believe that's it. Okay, so getting Ty Ty Washington, who you weren't super high on, I wasn't super high on, but getting Ty Ty Washington at the, four, the 29th pick with two future second round picks, that's a pretty fucking good outcome if you're asking that's me because on my meta big board, I, I know he slid a little bit from this time, but on my, my giant big board, he was a 14th rated prospect. He was a guy yeah. who some people had as a, you know, pretty solid lottery pick and you're getting him at 29th. And he's someone that I think is a, as a can play point guard, can play off the ball. He can play next to Jalen green as a point guard. He can play off of Jalen green kind of as them both being combo guards. And he steps in and is probably your backup point guard this season. So if the Kevin Porter Jr. thing doesn't go well at point guard, you know, maybe he can come in and provide some production. And or if they, you know, don't want to extend Kevin Porter, or if they can't extend Kevin Porter for whatever reason, you have a backup plan. And if you look at the way the Memphis Grizzlies have done stuff, it's like they go, oh, like we have a guy who's coming up for an extension. We have their replacement. 
not because we want to replace them. No team wants to replace their players, but that you want a backup plan that's right there in-house, knows what to do, and Ty Ty Washington's that. And then the final thing is, we all know about Kentucky guards. Yeah. Like, since 2015 with Devin Booker, pretty much, and that's kind of as the game has started to go away, went away from, like, hyper-athletic point guards, John Calipari has not been able to get a lot out of his college guards. And they... You, they put up these, you know, okay stats in, in college and they kind of fall down draft boards and be like, ah, and then they go in the NBA and you're like, holy fuck, this dude's amazing. What, what yeah. was happening in college? So, you know, even if Ty, if Ty Ty is able to do any of that, we're talking about a guy who's like, you know, a good, a really good NBA player. Um, and that's a great outcome at 29. I think it was the right p- thing to do. And you got two picks out of it. Like, who the fuck? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, no, you can't complain, man. Yeah, so Ty Ty, he's not a guy that I had super high on my board. With that said, last night in the spaces, uh, Nathan Fogg brought to my attention that he's got a 6'10 wingspan, which I did not realize. So, I mean, that's something, all right? I, he's 6'3". Yeah. Like, that's great. Yeah, that's that's so – and, uh, you know, um, and Nathan, who – I shout out Nathan. I think he's got consistently solid opinions – thinks that he could be a great point of attack defender at the NBA level, which like, I, I guess I, maybe I already scouted Ty Ty a little bit too. I, I just thought he was kind of an average defensive prospect, you know? Um, the shot profile is what turned me off initially. Like he's, he's a bit of a mid range uh, maestro, you know, he, he like, he's an okay three point shooter, but the numbers aren't great. And, and I know that he likes to go a lot in the mid, but at the end of the day, when you get a guy at 29 who was frequently mocked at like 14, 15, that's a win, right? Like you just, yeah, yeah like you just had to take that. Uh, somebody said last night that he had some kind of a minor nagging injury during the uh, like combine process and it affected his performance. And, and that might be a reason why he, he slipped. And like, that's a, that's a good reason to slip as far as I'm concerned, you know, like. Yeah, as long as it's not like, you know, a debilitating injury. Yeah, right. My impression was that it's not, but. Oh, speaking of injuries, AJ Griffin. Yeah. Going 16. I've got to imagine, start. I've got to imagine the medicals on him were, were not great. So uh, last night again in, in the space, like, like that was a, a, a big time uh, theme was where, you know, everybody was like, holy shit, AJ Griffin is slipping. Like, could we get AJ Griffin, you know? And then of course I he goes at 16. You want him. I between Easton and Griffin, I would have taken. I would have taken. I would have taken Terry. Like, I'd, I'd rather walk away with Terry. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't even say that last night because it was such an unpopular opinion, you know. But uh, man, here, here's the thing: anyone that's gotten older needs to know this. As you get older, you get hurt more. So if you're young and you get hurt and it's fucking you up, yeah, exactly. I, I, like I just, I don't want, I don't want to fuck with that. Like it's just, it's never in my mind. It's the one thing that I would be like, I'm okay missing on a dude because we wanted to be cautious with the medical because, you know, then you end up with Michael Porter Jr. Joel Embiid, who's put his injury problems behind him, still is the king at just randomly fucking getting hurt. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just this shit, this shit follows you. And it's gotta be the medical. Yeah. Yeah, and it sapped Amazing. his athleticism, and like you know, for me, it's like once again, he seemed like someone where you were projecting his kind of his high school ability back onto him, and sometimes that shit just it's gone. It sucks, but you know, there are guys that like fuck up their knee in high school and aren't the same. Yeah, that's right. Let's bring right. it home, man. Let's, yes, let's, bring it home. Overall, yeah. 
how much what what grade would you give the Rockets for their draft? I gave them an A for their first round. Yeah, I would I, I would give them an A. Uh, now it depends. I we did it out of ten last night. I said eight out of ten. Everybody else said nine or ten, but I I, I said an eight. And I said the, the reason that I'm giving it an eight is because we didn't come away with like we still need a primary like initiator like playmaker person and then somebody rightfully pointed out to me like well we didn't really have the opportunity to draft that player yeah i'm like so yes that's true but it depends what lens you're using like am i grading it relative to what could have happened in which case it's a 10 but if if i'm grading it in terms of like what i hoped to get from it uh separate from what was possible it's more like an eight you know i feel you on that and i i kind of agree based upon what was available fantastic draft based upon you know, do they really need a creator right now? I would say that's probably secondary to getting the two guys they got uh, with their first yeah, two picks fair. in terms of defense. And then who knows? Like maybe Ty Ty Washington is like a solid enough creator and maybe Jalen Green's a solid enough creator. And we saw with the Celtics, you don't need that like one focal point creator to be a really good offense and a really yeah, good that's, team. That's, that's facts. And the reality is like if – J, uh, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum could dribble as well as Jalen Green can now, the Celtics probably would have won the title. Um, and so, so what you're saying is that the Rockets are going to win the title in five years. I mean, here's the thing. If they, if they land a, a, a big guy next year, that's a, that's a distinct possibility with where I think Jalen Green could go. Obviously, he's got a long way to go. Where I think Jabari Smith Jr., will go and could go even if he doesn't go to the top tier i think you know he's a guy where if he's your third best player you're sick team and you're totally happy with that um and then with a guy like shangun even if shangun isn't the dude that you need to win a playoff series i think he's a guy who a a rebuilding team plus a few picks will give up a really good player for. So I think like he's always going to have pretty good trade value because the offensive creation is going to be there. And maybe, maybe he is the creator. Maybe like he is the creator and yeah, you just, it's possible. You just have it. I, I do think the the thing that will happen though, that's most crucial to their chances of becoming good quickly is getting rid of Steven Silas and his stupid fucking offense that just, it's like, dude, if you don't have James Harden, you don't have Luka Doncic. You can't run this five out shit and expect it to work. Sorry. Let's bring it home, baby. Bring it home. All right. That was like episode 28 NBA draft 2022 instant reaction with extra rockets flavor. Hope you enjoyed it. This was Nevin Brown. As always, I'm joined by James Piercy. Oh yeah. Now remember like subscribe, rate review, tell your friends and family about this. It is officially NBA off season, no draft, all free agency, all trades. We'll be back, um, you know, sometime next week. Probably be able to talk a little bit about Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, just teasing what the news probably will end up being. Oh, baby. Check us out on YouTube. And as always, peace. Peace.